Welcome to In Dark Places. Have a break. Have a Kit Kat. This week on the show, we're taking another little road trip into the unknown. All the way out west to the state of Arizona. I'm pretty excited about this one. We're going to go to Tombstone. We're going to take a little tour of the haunted hotel, Monta Vista. We're going to see if there's any local cryptids in Arizona. And we're going to talk about one of my favorite UFO stories, the Phoenix Lights. So while you're getting all saddled up and ready to go on the road trip, here's what's happening in the news this week. This story was sent in by our friend James. Thanks, James. The Navy says it has more UFO footage, but it is classified for national security by Nicholas Slayton. Thanks, Nicholas. The truth is out there, but the U.S. Navy doesn't want to share it. In fact, the Navy is arguing it can't release any more footage of unidentified aerial phenomenon because the videos are classified. The claim comes from an unlikely place. On April 28, 2020, the Black Vault, government transparency site dealing with UFOs and other paranormal activity, filed a very real Freedom of Information Act request with the Naval Air Systems Command for all videos designated UFOs. That was a day after the Naval Air Systems Command released three unclassified videos of UFOs recorded in 2004 and 2015. Eventually, a second request was filed, which eventually received a response. And that's where things get interesting because in their response to the Black Vault, the Navy revealed it has more footage of unidentified aerial phenomenon. The Office of Naval Intelligence's Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force denied release of any videos stating that they contained sensitive information and are in fact exempt from disclosure in their entirety. Gary Kaysen, Deputy Director for the Department of Navy's Freedom of Information Act Program Office, said in the response letter, The release of this information will harm national security, as it may provide adversaries valuable information regarding Department of Defense and Navy operations, vulnerabilities, and or capabilities. No portions of these videos can be segregated for release, Kaysen wrote. U.S. Congress admits UFOs are not man-made. Here's where it gets interesting. Well, wait a minute, I thought it already got interesting. Instead of refusing to confirm or deny that the SALT video even exists, the Navy outright confirmed that an unspecified amount of other UFO videos are in its possession. The military has been more transparent about UFOs in recent years. Following the release of the three Navy videos in 2020, this year the Navy showed Congress another of a spherical object flying through a training range recorded in 2021. Speaking to Congress, Deputy Director of Naval Intelligence Scott Bray admitted 
the military did not have an explanation for what was in the footage. However, he said the evidence the Navy does have suggests nothing is extraterrestrial in origin. Bray said that the released UFO videos are among 400 reported incidents documented by the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force at the time, although it was unclear if those were partly or all recorded. In the letter to the Black Vault, the Navy argued that three UFO videos are different because they had been leaked. The Navy didn't specify to who, but the videos were shared with the New York Times and UFO researcher and former Blink-182 member Tom DeLong. Thanks, Tom. Those events were discussed extensively in the public domain. In fact, major news outlets conducted specials on these events. Given the amount of information in the public domain regarding these encounters, it was possible to release the files without further damage to national security, Kaysen wrote. In July, the Pentagon announced the formation of the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, an expanded successor organization to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force, to address instances not only in the air, but the sea and other media as well. The Black Vault stated it intends to appeal the Freedom of Information Act denial. They're like all upset because they can't use their black sharpie and erase half of the documents, so they can't really release the UFO footage. Puts them in a sticky situation. And now, here is your Nicolas Cage Meltdown of the Week. Ghost Rider 2, Spirit of Vengeance. Arizona was the 48th state to be admitted into the Union of the United States on February 14, 1912. Nice little Valentine's Day present. It is the 6th largest state in America, the home of the Grand Canyon, and the home of hundreds of cool spooky stories. Here to tell us about our first stop on our little tour of Arizona is Mr. Jimmy Haunted. This story is called The Haunted Grave of Angeline Hoagland. After all, she was but a toddler when she died near the Old Black Canyon in 1889, 
but stories of her death and reports of her ghost are alive and kicking today. Perhaps that's because travelers can see her lonely grave from the old Black Canyon Highway as they cross Lynx Creek east of Prescott, Arizona. Maybe it's because Arizona Poet Laureate and Territorial Historian Charlotte Hall wrote a poem dedicated to this little girl. Or it could be that Angeline's death at the tender age of two deeply touched the gold miners, settlers, and cowboys of the time, and the tale spread and became part of local lore. The story begins in the mid-1880s, long before the old Lynx Creek Bridge was erected in 1922. David Hoagland and his wife, Catherine Stewart McGee Hoagland, left their Texas roots and put down stakes on the banks of Lynx Creek, perhaps drawn like many by the discovery of gold in the creek. Their daughter, Angeline, was born in 1886 and passed away on January 5, 1889, two years, three months, and 15 days later, according to her headstone. She was not buried in a cemetery, but along the creek near Old Black Canyon Highway. The cause of the little girl's death is still in dispute. Was she killed by a bobcat or coyote? Did she drown in the creek? Did she freeze during the blizzard? Prevailing wisdom says she died of illness. The cause of death has been the subject of speculation and folklore, although the family's descendants say she took ill and died, as many children did during this difficult era. It was much later that a headstone engraved with Hall's poem was placed on her grave. The poem is at the base and reads, Here lies our baby Angeline, for which we weep and do repine. She was all our joy and all our pride until the day our baby died. We hope in heaven again to meet, and then our joy will be complete. But until our Maker calls us there, we trust her in his righteous care. Over the 132 years since Angeline died, reports have circulated that her restless spirit still wanders the banks of Lynx Creek. More than one passerby has claimed to see, have seen her eerie, luminescent presence by the grave. According to Alan Brown, author of Haunted Southwest, some witnesses have reports, reported seeing the spectral figure of a small child standing on the grave. Others say the ground will shake if anyone dares stand inside the iron fence around the grave. College students are said to have been camped out by the grave in hopes of catching a glimpse of the supernatural specter. But there is an explanation, and it's based on science, according to Brown. The stone from which Angeline's tombstone was carved is of a luminous variety that, when struck by car headlights, glows brightly. Now I'm going to put my two cents in after this. Unfortunately, the tombstone and poetic epitaph became a target of vandals. The Charlotte Hall Museum of Prescott removed it at some point and stored it for safekeeping before replacing it on January 15, 1993, exactly 104 years after Angeline died. Remains of other Hoagland family members are buried in the Citizen Cemetery of Sheldon Street in Prescott. It is largely accepted today that the ghost stories probably originated because Angeline's tombstone is made from luminous rock. Therefore, if your car headlights hit the rock, it glows brightly. Unfortunately, the tombstone and poetic epitaph became a target of vandals. 
remains of the other Hoglum. I think I just said that. Um, Angeline's lone grave is now surrounded by a black iron fence. The one that some say rattles if you get too close. Prescott Valley Historical Society adopted the grave site. Angeline's lone grave is now surrounded by a black iron fence. Okay, this repeated itself. But uh, supposedly it rattles. Now, just because this stone happens to be of the luminous variety, these people just said, oh, well, it's not a ghost because the stone is luminous. You know what? This, the stone can be luminous and also be haunted. So just because you find a possible reason for um, an explanation for this doesn't mean that is the only explanation. I hate when people just give up lazy like that. Anyway, that's the story of Angeline Hoagland of Prescott, Arizona. I've not made it a secret that my favorite movie of all time is Tombstone. So Jimmy knew that I was going to jump all over Tombstone, Arizona in this road trip. Like so many other places in the Old West with violent histories, Tombstone is said to be one of the most haunted in Arizona. The streets of Tombstone themselves are said to be the pathways of many a lingering spirit. One of which is the long dead Marshal Fred White who was accidentally shot by cowboy faction leader Curly Bill Brocious on October 28, 1880. White, the first marshal of Tombstone, had gained the respect of the Clanton gang and, in fact, had arrested cowboy members on several occasions, rarely having any problems when doing so. In the early morning of October 28th, Curly Bill and several of his cohorts were making sport by shooting up the town. When White went to disarm the gunman, a shot was accidentally fired, hitting White in the groin. Though it was thought that he would make a full recovery, two days later he died. Today he is said to haunt the street in front of the shooting site, which was an empty lot where the Birdcage Theater was built a year later. Another cowboy, that of a man moving along in a long black frock coat, has been seen on several occasions crossing the road. The apparition is often seen near the site where Virgil Earp was ambushed and shot in the arm, crippling him for life. The spirit never makes it across the street, leading many to believe that this may be the ghost of Virgil Earp himself. A woman in a long white dress has been seen on tombstone streets. That she is a fretful mother whose child died from yellow fever in the 1880s and devastated. She later took her own life. Another version of the tale claims that she was a brothel madam who was hanged and continues to stalk the streets searching for her executioners. Lawlessness, though, was not the only cause of numerous deaths during Tombstone's heyday, twice it suffered terrible fires, the first in June of 1881 and the second in May of 1882. During these two infernos, which both wiped out significant business district areas, more than 40 men lost their lives in the crowded saloons and brothels that burned to the ground. 
These long dead suffering men are also said to make themselves known, appearing complete with drastic burns. Others have reported the smell of smoke and burning materials, when there is no explainable reason. Tombstone's most famous place, the O.K. Corral, was the site of the best-known gunfight in the Old West, portrayed in dozens of Western films and books. The gunfight made a legend of Wyatt Earp and brought Tombstone, Arizona fame. After tensions had been building between the Earps and the cowboy faction in Tombstone for some time, Marshal Virgil Earp determined to disarm the men on October 26, 1881, resulting in the 32nd shootout, which left Frank and Tom McClory, as well as Billy Clinton, dead. Also involved in the gunfight for the Cowboys were Ike Clinton, Billy Claiborne, and Wes Fuller. In the Earp party were brothers Virgil, White, and Morgan, as well as Doc Holliday. Today the OK Corral is allegedly haunted by the Cowboys' ghosts. Several witnesses have reported seeing the fading apparitions of men dressed in cowboy attire, often appearing with guns drawn perhaps locked into a perpetual battle with the Earps. Others have claimed to have felt numerous cold spots in various areas of the corral. At the nearby Boot Hill Graveyard, called such because many of its occupants died with their boots on, more than 250 graves give partial stories of the tombstone's lawless past. Used primarily from 1878 to 1884, the graveyard was originally called the Tombstone Cemetery. Pretty original. Men such as those killed at the OK Corral gunfight. Marshal Fred White, killed by Curly Bill Brocious. An unfortunate soul by the name of George Johnson, who was hanged by mistake. Five men hanged for the vicious killings labeled as the Bisbee Massacre. Gunfighter Charlie Storms who was killed by Luke Short, and dozens more, ranging from prospectors to outlaws, lawmen and prostitutes. Of some who were laid to rest here, their names were never known, or were only known by a nickname. Over the years, the old cemetery fell to disrepair, with numerous old wooden tombstones falling or decomposing entirely, and others being stolen by souvenir hunters. It wasn't until the town's first Eldorado days, around 1929, the old cemetery began to be referred to as the Boot Hill Graveyard. Still, it continued to sit neglected until the 1940s, when an effort began to restore the cemetery. Today, it is one of Tombstone's most popular tourist attractions. Evidently, per several legends, it also remains popular with the many dead who lie there. Visitors often report seeing strange lights and hearing unidentifiable noises coming from the old graveyard. Spirits have been spied on numerous occasions and even more frequently are said to appear in photographs. Billy Clinton, killed in the gunfight at the OK Corral, is said to rise from his grave before walking along the Roll back to Tombstone. Big Nose Kate's Saloon. This popular saloon of today first got its start as the Grand Hotel in September 1880, 
declared as one of the finest hotels in the state. The hotel was luxuriously furnished, provided thick carpeting, and its walls were adorned with costly oil paintings, providing 16 bedrooms, each with a view. They were fitted with solid walnut furnishings, toilet stands, fine fixtures, and wallpaper. The lobby was equipped with three elegant chandeliers and more luxurious furnishings. At the same time, the kitchen boasted hot and cold running water and facilities to serve some 500 people in the span of a couple hours. The hotel opened with an invitation-only ball on September 9, 1880. During its first few years, the hotel often housed some of Tombstone's most famous residents, including Wyatt and Virgil Earp, Doc Holliday, and the Clinton Gang when they came into town. In fact, Ike Clinton and the two McClory brothers were registered guests the night before the famous OK Corral gunfight. Another interesting character living at the hotel during its heyday was a man they called Swamper. A janitor and odd job man of the hotel, the Swamper was regarded as an honest employee and was given accommodations as part of his pay. His bedroom, located in a dark corner of the basement, not only served as a retreat from the hotel's many customers, but also its own private mine shaft. The basement, located deep below Tombstone Streets, was not too far from the many mine shafts that ran beneath the town. Swamper painstakingly spent his off hours tunneling an entrance from his bedroom to the nearby mine shafts for some time. When his tunnel was complete, he could access a thick vein of silver where he began to moonlight as a miner, taking from the vein silver nugget after silver nugget. What he did after hoarding his silver is unknown, but many believe it may still be hidden somewhere beneath Big Nose Kate's saloon. Alas, the Grand Hotel's luxurious life would be a short one, as she did not survive the devastating fire of May 25, 1882. Above ground, the only things that remained standing were her seven graceful arches and her floor joists on the main level. The rest of the building collapsed into the basement. Today, the building is home to Big Nose Kate's Saloon. Several changes have been made to the original structure since it burned down and has been rebuilt. The bar area, which was originally housed in the old hotel's basement, is now located on the main level. In the basement is a gift shop, but the tunnel leading to the mine shafts still exists. The saloon holds the Grand Hotel's original long bar, the only one of which survived the fire of 1882, and is still available for thirsty patrons. The only other long bar that survived the two infernos is in the Birdcage Theater, now a museum. Imagine setting your elbows down on the very place that once did the Earps, Doc Holliday, and the Clantons. Today, not only does this historic saloon continue to be popular among its new patrons, but it is also said to remain home to a couple of spectral ones as well. Naturally, the most evident is that of the Swamper, who allegedly has never left the building. Staff, locals, and tourists have 
had experiences with this old miner ranging from photos where he has appeared to several fleeting appearances as he roams the halls, stairways, and especially the basement. Part of the legend claims that the Swamper hid his silver somewhere in the building and returns to protect it. Other appearances made by fleeting cowboy spirits seen at the bar, standing in doorways, and by one account, knocking over beer cases in the basement. Perhaps this is one of our old friends, the Herbs or Holiday. Other witnesses claim to have heard phantom people singing and talking in deserted rooms. Reported that things fall to the floor of their own accord. Doors open and close with unseen hands. Lights turn on and off by themselves. And silverware has been known to go flying off tables. The mannequins on the false balcony have seemingly been moved and sometimes even tossed from the balcony. The sounds of footsteps and muted voices are often heard coming from the basement when no one is down there. Areas in the saloon also experience extreme cold spots and gusts of cold air. Photographers have made numerous reports of strange hazy forms appearing in images as well as having numerous camera malfunctions. One story tells of the building's owner and several employees exploring an old swamper's tunnel. They soon discovered that it still led all the way to the old shafts of the Tough Nut Mine. Safely, they made their way back to the basement, but as they approached Swamper's Tunnel, they heard a loud moaning sound and heavy footsteps coming down the stairs leading to the tunnel. Sure that someone had come into the building, they came out of the tunnel, immediately searching the premises, only to find the building empty and the doors still locked. Perhaps Swamper was afraid they were going to find his silver. Other strange events have occurred on the staircases leading to the basement, including female employees who have felt pushed off the last stair. Another female employee felt cold, clammy hands encircling her throat. Whatever you do, don't let the ghosts scare you, because the atmosphere and the food at Big Kate's saloon are wonderful and the place is a must stop in Tombstone. The restaurant saloon is located at 417 East Allen Street. Uh, when Junebug and I settled on Haunted Arizona this week, I remember I had a screenshot saved on my phone with something about Arizona, and I went back and found it. And holy mackles! This story is called House Mysteriously Appears in Sierra Vista, Arizona. A UFO is one thing, a flashing light in the sky, a glowing orb that flies at incredible speeds, but what do you do when that mysterious object, the one that seemingly appears out of nowhere and leaves just as quickly, is a house? A MUFON report submitted on September 28, 2014, shares the bizarre tale of a couple from Sierra Vista, Arizona, who encountered just that. At 9.45 p.m. on a clear December night in 2012, the two went outside for a cigarette only to find a house in the field across the street. It had never been there before, and the lights were on. We were only out there a minute, 
before we noticed what appeared to us to be a single wide mobile home or rectangular shaped house in the field across the street. This field is totally fenced in and there's been nothing there for several years, so we were surprised to see a house. We hadn't heard anything during the day nor seen any movement, trucks, bringing in a house. There appeared to be a door with a window on each side. Lights were on, but the house slash object appeared to be empty. They stood and pondered on the house's mysterious appearance for a while, but after deciding that there wasn't much they could do about a rogue house manifestation, especially at that time of night, they went to bed. However, the next morning, things only got stranger. The next morning, we got our coffee and went outside to have a smoke, and the object was not in the field. There was nothing there. It was an empty, fenced-in field, as it always was. And that's how the story ends. It was very odd, says the submission. To this day, every time we drive by, we always look at the fencing to see how someone could have pulled in a trailer and there's just no way. And here's another story out of Tombstone. One of the oldest original buildings in Tombstone and the most authentic attractions is this once booming mining camp, the Birdcage Theater. Also has a reputation of being the most haunted place in town, allegedly continuing to host as many as 31 ghosts. The birdcage was named after his 14 small cribs hanging from the ceiling that once housed painted ladies dressed as finely feathered birds. After opening in 1881, it quickly gained a reputation as the wildest place in town, so much so that even the faraway New York Times said of it the Birdcage Theater is the wildest, wickedest night spot between Basin Street and the Barbary Coast. Between 1881 and 1889, the Birdcage never closed its doors 24 hours a day, as it provided gambling, drinking, and other vices to its many customers. The saloon was the scene of 26 deaths which can be attested to by the 140 bullet holes which can still be viewed at the birdcage today. Since 1934 the old building has served as a museum owned and operated by the Hunley family. It still houses the gilded cages and painted stage and the original grand piano. Here where tourists can walk along the floors of this historic honky-tonk once walked the likes of Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday. Seemingly, some of these old legends of the past continue to stalk the old saloon as both staff and guests alike have reported seeing ghostly apparitions in the 1800s clothing. Most often cited is the figure of a male stagehand that appears wearing black striped pants, a visor, and holding a clipboard as he walks across the stage. Other occurrences 
include the sounds of raucous laughter and music pouring from the old theater's doors at night. Others report hearing the faint sounds of a woman singing. And the museum's sound system has inexplicably turned on of its own accord, blaring old-time music. Others have reported strange sounds coming from the main floor's balconies and the sharp scents of cigar smoke and whiskey. After closing time, the staff has reported hearing the sounds of clinking glasses and cards shuffling. The haunting reports date back to 1921, when a school was built across the street and students began to report the sounds of laughter and music coming from the abandoned building, as well as the smell of cigar smoke. Over the years, the Hunley family, staff, and visitors alike have experienced several strange events. One of the fascinating tales is how a dice table, which weighed several hundred pounds, mysteriously moved the night before. When the staff arrived the next morning, the table had been moved in front of a door with a sign that read, Don't Disturb Our 26 Resident Ghosts. The table is so heavy that it reportedly took eight men to move back to its former position. Another story tells of a statue of white herb that was made and placed in one of the cribs overlooking the theater. When it was first placed there, staff would arrive in the morning to find Wyatt's hat continually knocked off and thrown into the floor below. This occurred over and over for about six months. On one occasion, Staff arrived to find the statue was turned around, with its back facing the view from below. Some time later, a local historian told the Hunleys that they had placed the white herb statue in the crib that was usually reserved by the Clantons. When the statue was moved to the crib that Wyatt actually frequented when he was alive, the hat tossing finally stopped. On another occasion, a valuable antique poker chip, which had been missing for years, suddenly reappeared on the poker table. Upon finding it there, it was locked away in a safe until historians could authenticate it. However, when the historians arrived, they were disappointed to find that the chip had suddenly gone missing again. Only after they left did it reappear in a locked desk drawer. The Birdcage Theater has been the site of several paranormal investigations featured on popular television programs. It is located at 517 East Allen Street. In Flagstaff, Arizona, there's a hotel called the Hotel Monte Vista. There's a huge history to this hotel, but I'm just going to start telling you by um, by some of the famous guests that have stayed there. The Hotel Monte Vista was the premier lodging choice for many Hollywood stars in the 1940s and 50s. Western films were on the rise during the turning the wheels for more than 100 movies to be shot nearby, Sedona and Oak Creek Canyon. During these filmings, the Hotel Monte Vista hosted such famous guests as Jane Russell, Gary Cooper, Spencer Tracy, John Wayne, and Bing Crosby. The hotel has uh, even been featured in Hollywood scenes, notably Casablanca and Forrest Gump. And some of the other people who stayed there, Bob Hope, Michael Stipe, uh, Zane Gray, Bing Crosby, Michael J. Fox. Uh, anyway, 
So there's a lot of rooms that have stories surrounding them. The Monte Vista has always been known for rumors of hauntings. As with nearby buildings of similar age, there are spirits haunting some of the rooms and the halls. With such a colorful history, it is no surprise some spirits stick around for an eternity. We encourage communication with the ghosts if you are looking for an extraordinary experience. If you would like to hear about some of the phenomena, feel free to ask the employees around the building. Our wonderful housekeeping staff has some of the most intriguing tales. So, room 220. The Meat Man. This bizarre, long-term boarder was known by his strange habit of hanging raw meat from the chandelier. In the early 1980s, the lodger was found in his room three days after his death. Not long after this boarder's death, a maintenance worker was working on a few repairs. When in need of a new fixture, he left the room, turned the lights off, and locked the door. Returning only a few minutes later, he found his the television on at full volume, and the linens on the bed had been ripped and scattered around the room. Today, it is common for the television to act up on its own, as well as reports of cold male hands. How do you know they're male hands? Huh? Touching guests in their sleep. Uh, the Rocking Chair, from Room 305. Featured in many paranormal shows and popular amongst curious guests, Room 305 is by far the most active room in the hotel. There are numerous reports of seeing a woman in a rocking chair near the window. Guests in housekeeping have reports of seeing the chair move by itself and knocking coming from the inside of the closet. History tells us that years ago, an elderly woman who was a long-term renter would sit by the window for hours on end. No one knows what she was looking at or looking for. Could it be she was waiting for someone to return, even in death? Women of the Night, room 306. Years ago, Flagstaff's red light district could be found just south of the railroad tracks, just two blocks from the Monte Vista. In the early 1940s, two prostitutes were brought to room 306. During their quotation mark visit, they were killed and thrown from the third floor window to the cold street below. Over the years, numerous guests have reported being awakened in the middle of the night and unable to return to sleep due to a feeling they are being watched. The majority of the time, our male guests report the feeling of having a hand placed over their mouths and throats and awakening, unable to breathe. The Phantom Bellboy Hotel guests have reported a knock at their door and a muffled voice announcing, Room service! When guests open the door, no one is present. However, some guests have seen the figure of a bellboy standing outside of room 210. John Wayne experienced this ghost during a few of his stays. Mr. Wayne reported that the ghost seemed friendly and that he did not feel threatened by its presence. Our housekeepers frequently uh, experience the antics of the bellboy. One report states seeing a young male in an old-fashioned red coat with brass buttons walking up and down the halls. The body, no, the baby in the basement. The disturbing sounds of an infant crying in the basement have been heard again and again. 
reported primarily by maintenance and laundry personnel, this is one of the most disturbing encounters. Staff have found themselves running upstairs to escape the sound of the cries. Though the sounds are very real to those who hear them, there have been no information that has explained this phenomenon. The dancing couple. On several occasions, lounge staff and patrons have witnessed a transparent couple dancing in the cocktail lounge. They are seen in formal dress, laughing and smiling, eternally dancing. And I got the last one here. It's called the bank robber. In 1970, three men robbed a nearby bank. During the robbery, a bank guard shot one of the men. Despite their injured comrade, they decided to celebrate by stopping in the lounge to have a drink. The wounded man bled to death while enjoying his last drink. Since then, both patrons and staff have reportedly been greeted by an anonymous voice saying, Good morning! There have been reports of bar stools and drinks that seem to move on their own. And that's uh, some of the story behind the Hotel Monte Vista in Flagstaff, Arizona. I was telling Jimmy that I've made Flagstaff into a swear word in these last few months or year or so. For example, I'll be at work loosening the head from our meat grinder and the wrench thing suddenly falls and hits me on the toe or what have you and I say Flagstaff yeah I'm kind of weird when you think about Arizona it doesn't really seem like the kind of place to have a Sasquatch but I did a little digging and I found out that Arizona has its very own Bigfoot Searching for the Mogollon Monster by Aaron Ford thanks Aaron Imagine driving the lonely roads around the Grand Canyon after dark, or hiking its winding trails near sundown. Leaves rustle somewhere in the stillness, and a murky shadow in the distance twitches ever so slightly. It's in these eerie moments that visitors and locals alike have reported seeing a towering, hairy, vicious creature stalking across the landscape. Sometimes unleashing a blood-chilling scream unlike anything human. This beast has been dubbed the Mogollon Monster and it's been reported many times dating all the way back to 1903. The first recorded sighting of the beast came in 1903 as noted previously (laughs) when I.W. Stevens told the Williams News I saw a man with long white hair and a matted beard that reached his knees. He wore no clothing, and upon his talon-like fingers were claws at least two inches long. A coat of gray hair neatly covered his body, with here and there a patch of dirty skin showing. Stevens goes on to describe the creature's face, which he called a horror, noting it was seared and burned brown by the sun with fiery green eyes. Stevens reported he was charged by the beast who wielded a large club and was ready to fire at it when it stopped short of mauling him 
distracted by a mountain lion on a ledge above. Stevens said he shot the mountain lion, leaving behind two cubs. But the strange creature had run away as he fired. As Stevens retreated and made his way back to his boat, he said he noticed the creature had returned and was making a meal out of all three mountain lions. When Stevens yelled at the creature from the safety of his boat, he said it fled up the rock ledges, but not before he flourished his club again and screamed the wildest, most unearthly screech I ever heard. The Cedar, Colorado hunter returned to his camp and subsequently home, where he speculated on the origin of the wild man of the rocks, as he put it. Stevens told the news, Tradition records that years ago, hostile Indians captured three men, bound them to logs far up the canyon, and cast them adrift upon the swollen river. It may be that this wild creature is one of those unfortunate men who, by chance, freed himself and escaped death, but was made insane by his awful experience. There are no records of such an experience ever taking place, although in 1903 the Grand Canyon was still a wild frontier, and skirmishes occasionally happened between regional tribes and westbound settlers. Still, Stevens' ordeal isn't an isolated event. Others have reported seeing a strange creature resembling Stevens' original report over the years, although the details begin to vary. The reported sightings have mostly occurred in the mountainous Mogollon Rim region, hence the moniker. But sightings have been reporting as far away as Prescott Valley and Clifton, Arizona. Don Davis, who believed he encountered the Mogollon monster on a Boy Scouts camping trip around 1944 near Payson, Arizona, studied sightings and tales of terrifying creatures of all varieties. Known as a cryptozoologist, a person who evaluates scientific evidence for mythical creatures such as Bigfoot, Chupacabra, Loch Ness Monster, David recounted his tale. This creature was huge. Its eyes were deep-set and hard to see, but they seemed expressionless. His face seemed pretty much devoid of hair, but there seemed to be hair along the sides of his face. His chest, shoulders, and arms were massive, especially the upper arms, easily upward of six inches in diameter, perhaps much, much more. I could see he was pretty hairy, but didn't observe really how thick the body hair was. The face and head was very square, square sides, and squared up chin like a box. Of course, these sightings are decades old, before the power of the internet placed evidence for or against the existence of such creatures in the hands of the average Joe. No hiking boots or camping experience necessary. But even as late as 2014, the Mogollon monster is still being reported. A sociology student reported to Cryptozoology News that she was hiking the Canyon Point Trail near Payson when she saw what she described as a troll-looking creature 
drinking from a pool of water. Students said the creature was human looking, no hair on it, but full of bumps. The eyes were kind of brown red, thick, big nose, small lips, no expression on its face at all, and it then took off running like a person. I think that is a completely different report. <laughs> the Mogulon monster is described across many accounts as being either large or human sized, having green or red eyes, covered in white, gray or black hair. Its origins are unknown, although visitors, residents, and researchers seem to agree something slightly inhuman may be wandering amongst the Ponderosa Pines of northern Arizona. Back to school, back to school, to prove to dad that I'm not a fool. I got my lunch packed up, my boots tied tight. I hope I don't get in a fight. Oh, back to school, back to school, back. So this story comes out of um, Flagstaff, Arizona, where there's a, a North Arizona University. The North Campus has a, a North Morton Hall, which is supposedly haunted. Rumors of ghostly happenings at NAU's North Campus have abounded for decades. Suicide closets, drowning tunnels, strange bangings in the night, electrical malfunctions, screams from the ground, sightings of women in blue nightgowns and water faucets with a mind of their own. In the center of this campus vortex of creepiness is North Morton Hall. Built in 1913, the monolithic building glows an eerie white at night and it's home to one of NAU's longest-term residents, Kathy the Ghost. There are various versions of the Kathy story told throughout the years by resident to resident, parent to child, sibling to sibling. The most common variation is that 19-year-old Kathy committed suicide in room 200A upstairs at the hall in 1953. It was Christmas break, and Kathy's parents told her they didn't have money to bring her home for the holidays because of a bankruptcy the family suffered. If that wasn't enough for poor Kathy being stuck in a gloomy dorm when everyone else went home, it seemed her boyfriend, instead of giving her the unexpected or the expected engagement ring, jilted her for another girl. Tormented beyond endurance, she used a rope to hang herself on the stairway to the attic. She was wearing a blue nightgown and was found by two cleaning women a few days later. About a month later, a stillborn baby was found in the basement. Was there a connection between it and the ill-fated Kathy? We'll never know. Personal encounters with Kathy's ghost have occurred ever since. They include water turning on in the middle of the night, Toilets randomly flushing, lights flickering, footsteps outside doors when no one is there, the smell of roses, her favorite flower, on the third floor, walls turning pink, her favorite color, sounds of crying in empty spaces, a mystery woman dressed in a blue nightgown walking the halls at night, banging noises on pipes heard throughout the hall, doors opening by themselves, doors locking by themselves, and stereos turning onto music of the 50s. For residents today in North Morton, Kathy is still very much a presence in their lives. There are stories that her favorite color is pink and that she tried to paint over where she 
was, but the paint just peels right off. NAU senior Tisha Lane said, It's creepy. I don't go to the third floor unless I have to. Weird things happen in Lane's own room, too. Two weeks ago, I set the sleep timer for 12 minutes to watch the end of a TV show. I woke up in the morning and the Spanish channel was on, and when I had been watching channel 3 with the Street Smarts game show. Last semester, at about 11.30 at night, I turned my stereo off to watch TV. About 10 minutes later, the TV turned back on and the radio came on, too. I ran downstairs to the front desk. I was so scared. I'm a big chicken. The labyrinth-like corridors and stairs of North Morton are confusing and freaky at times. There's so many mirrors in the building that it kind of freaks you out, said senior accounting major Tracy Christensen. You walk around a corner and there's a mirror you don't expect to be there. There's a mirror at the end of every hall and one at the top of every stair. North Morton doors are equally strange. There's a lock to the door to the balcony because it's been condemned. None of the residents have keys and nobody ever goes out there. Sometimes it's unlocked just at random. Investigations into the Kathy story usually lead to a dead end, perhaps because university officials in the 1950s didn't want to publish the incident and give their hall or institution a bad name. Various publications, including an article in the Lumberjack, October 28, 1992, have reported that one of the cleaning women, a Mary Nunos, who worked at NAU for 33 years, verified the suicide of Kathy. Despite renovations through the years, the hall still has a certain peculiar aura of sadness. Girls through the years have reported that when they are sad or homesick, they feel a cold hand touching theirs with a sense that they are not alone. Even coming home to the building can be daunting. It's a little creepy coming up the building at night, junior math major Amity France said. You think, please don't let there be a ghost behind the door when I come in. The worst part is if you don't have your key ready and you look around saying, okay, Kathy, where are you? Residents began a tradition last year of hosting a night of North Morton Hall ghost stories. That's a great idea. The price of admission was $1 and a can of food. This year's event took place on October 19th and was a big success. It included walking through the basement, climbing upstairs to the third floor, talking about Kathy and the little blue lobby upstairs where she lived. There are other ghosts in and around North Morton, such as the two lovers who drowned in an underground tunnel between Taylor Hall and North Morton Hall when the pipes broke. They might account for the giggling and banging on water pipes that people hear in the North Morton basement. It's definitely an adventure living in North Morton, Lane said. So that's the story of Northern Arizona University's Morton Hall. And uh, stay tuned for more In Dark Places. The Phoenix Lights. The Phoenix Lights were a series of widely sighted, unidentified flying objects observed in the skies over the southwestern states of Arizona and Nevada and the Mexican state of Sonora on March 13, 1997. I remember. Lights of varying descriptions were seen by thousands of people between 7.30 
and 10.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time in a space of about 300 miles from the Nevada line through Phoenix to the edge of Tucson. There were two distinct events involved in the incident. A triangular formation of lights seen to pass over the state and a series of stationary lights seen in the Phoenix area. The United States Air Force identified the second group of lights as flares dropped by A-10 Warthog aircraft that were on training exercises at the Barry Goldwater Range in southwest Arizona. Witnesses claim to have observed a huge carpenter square shaped UFO containing five spherical lights or possibly light emitting engines. Fife Symington, the governor of Arizona at the time, years later said he witnessed this incident, describing the object as being otherworldly. The lights were reported to have reappeared in 2007 and 2008 and were attributed to military flares dropped by fighter aircraft at Luke Air Force Base and the flares attached to helium balloons released by civilian, respectively, and the global public just went along with it. It wasn't just one event, there were many events across the state for more than 12 hours, Phoenix Light Network spokeswoman Lynn Katai said. The first event was described as a V-shaped object the size of a commercial plane soaring through the sky. One witness from Prescott, who wished to be only known as J.R., so let's respect his wishes, said he watched a boomerang-shaped object glide over Granite Mountain, and it was at least a mile wide. He said there's no way it was from this planet. We don't have anything that big, he said. It was totally silent. I've never seen anything even close to the colors from the exhaust that propelled that thing. It was as big as downtown Prescott and completely blocked out the stars. The second event was reported by an unidentified former Arizona police officer who claimed he saw a series of stationary orange and red lights hanging over the valley. I'm a pilot and I know just about every machine that flies, Fife Symington said. It was bigger than anything I've ever seen. It remains a great mystery. Other people saw it. Responsible people. I don't know why people would ridicule it. The orange and red lights were later explained away as flares dropped by military aircraft. However, the V-shaped object remains unexplained. The Phoenix lights have captured the imaginations of millions over the past two decades, including some people in Hollywood. The phenomenon was a key plot point of a found footage horror film, Phoenix Forgotten, which was released in 2018, and it was horrible. But those are not the only ties between the UFO and the silver screen. Actor Kurt Russell claimed that he was the pilot that reported the phenomenon. I was flying my son to go see his girlfriend, and we're on approach. And I saw six lights over the airport, absolutely uniform, in a V-shape, he said in a BBC interview last year. UFO sightings are fairly common in the Phoenix area. 
There are reports of strange lights in the desert sky multiple times each year. According to a 2014 Washington Post article, Arizona has the highest number of UFO sightings per capita in the country. Due to Arizona's rich and extensive history, it is home to its fair share of supposedly haunted places. From restaurants to cemeteries, ghosts have infiltrated countless buildings and spaces. One such place, Casey Moore's Oyster House. Casey Moore's Oyster House is famous in Tempe for its juicy burgers and oyster platters, but restaurant patrons quickly find out what else Casey Moore's is known for. The ghosts and spirits in the restaurant are sure to make themselves known, and many have experienced the spooky apparitions and strange occurrences in and around the restaurant. Restaurants across the street have reportedly seen a woman dancing through the second floor window of the restaurant late at night. She usually appears around 4 a.m. and is sometimes accompanied by a man who dances with her. On at least four different occasions, neighbors have called the police who arrived at an empty house and untouched alarm system. Many suspect that the dancing couple are the ghosts of William and Mary Moore who danced the night away to the music playing in the restaurant. Longtime residents say that the couple is glad to see that their old home has been restored into a lively restaurant, prompting them to dance and celebration. Neighbors also say that the spirits of the dancing couple is accompanied by a faint glow from the second-story window. The ghost of the young woman who was murdered has also been seen around the restaurant. Unlike the spirit of the Moors, she appears during business hours. Those who have seen her claim she has dark hair and light eyes, and she appears through the corner of your eye. She stares until you turn and meet her gaze, then disappears. The ghosts of Casey Moores are known to pull some strange shenanigans. Many believe that some of the spirits from the bordello like to engage in mischief from the afterlife. The staff has set the tables, chairs, and silverware before closing, only to find them rearranged in the morning. Staff and customers have also seen silverware launched from the tables on multiple occasions. Lamps had started swinging violently on their own. There's also an account of a photo frame being launched across the restaurant with a nail still on the wall, as if someone had lifted the picture and threw it across the room. So that's uh, Casey Moore's Oyster House in Tempe, Arizona. And that's about all the cool stories we have for you this week. We hope you enjoyed them. We'll see you again right here next week. God bless you. Billy Clinton killed in the gunfight at the Golden at the Golden Corral. <laughs>